0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at Libertarians.com.
1: Hey, here we are. Second week of uh, Low-Key Wall. Um, As you guys may be wondering where Dear Leader is, he's still held up in the jungle. He hasn't recognized uh, that I am now in charge of We Are Libertarians. Uh, I have been recognized by six of the great nine um, libertarian podcasts now as new dear leader and he just needs to come to fact that he needs to power um so if you see him tell them you know it's over with just relax and i'm resp- and i'm here with my second in command Reinhold. good evening everybody and i'm also with uh, uh the person who's probably going to get shot first escalgia hello <laughs> <laughs> in French and, and uh, fresh from his re-education camp we actually got Hody in there
0: a little comrade
2: <laughs> see you need to fix the criteria at the re-education camp they keep coming out with fake Russian accents
0: <laughs> no that's just Rocky and Bullwinker marathon on the pr- pr- plane ride home that's just the Boris and Natasha is just so imitatable
1: the uh, Rocky and Bullwinkle marathon.
0: Yeah, yeah. There wasn't a lot of choices on the plane.
1: They had a Rocky and Bullwinkle marathon on the plane.
0: Well, this is a long. Uh, the reeducation camp you guys financed was uh, was not close.
1: It just sounds expensive. I just <laughs> want to. I just want to make sure we're spending the money wisely and we're not using <laughs> well, it, was, it. It was bootlegs. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oof. If I spent real money on that, I'd be, be upset. <laughs> okay. All right. So, today, here on uh, Low-Key, I wanted to talk about like, a couple of things. Uh, one, as you know, it's like it's the uh, Edward Stone in Victory Lap this week. Uh, I don't know if you guys understand or remember that. that it's been What is it? six years since Edward Snowden um, dropped d- dropped the massive bombshell, and nobody cares. <laughs> well, some people care, but nobody Nobody cares. <laughs> people are still on Facebook. People aren't using encryption. They don't care. They're fine with the spying now. They're fine. They're fully fine. You know, Matter of fact, they're going to use the spying attempt to go after their um, political enemies that they don't like. <laughs>
3: We all knew that was going to happen. We was doing that in the fifties, sixties. True, true, true.
1: We knew that was going to happen, JFK but it's was still big with that. Yeah, but now, but now you're sitting there and you're having to sit there and watch it happen. It's just kind of disgusting.
0: Hi, you've always been so good about like privacy, and I, I guess I'll admit, like maybe I'm the person that just needs to care more because I just, I think for me. And I don't use this as an excuse to breach anybody else's privacy, but for me, I'm not doing anything. So have fun. You know? It's not,
1: But it's not for you, then. It's not for you. The privacy and all that stuff is for, it's the people that need it. There are people whose um, well-beings and the jobs that they do that they need to retain a set of uh, privacy or anonymity, you know, or that they are getting ready to be a uh, whistleblower on a dark or terrible project that's happening. Yeah. They're
3: the ones that need it. Well, 100%. A, that was a big deal with Facebook requiring real names was that there's a lot of people who needed to be a sort of anonymous so that they could get their message out and communicate behind the behind the scenes in, in areas that would have hunted them down and killed them. right? So they made some allowances for some people to, to have non-fake names. but For the most part, you're supposed to use real ones. Correct.
0: A real name, yeah. That was where I I felt that Facebook acted biased in that regard was because they would allow what they wouldn't allow somebody recording po- you know behind the scenes police footage of them altering evidence unless it was under real name to be aired but they would allow what the the what uh, Tina from Bob's Burgers they'll let that happen as long as they're posting left wing stuff then it's fine it was just like wait so the time when they need it. You can't. You won't let them have the privacy. But if they just want to post left wing stuff, then they can post it whatever they want. I can po- okay.
3: post articles that re, that re, uh, refer to unnamed sources all day long. That's okay.
0: Yeah, and that's the majority of what people do. I mean, that's what I do. Yeah,
1: but uh, and that's what I, and that's what I'm saying. And that is what is needed for. Um, The anonymity, because if you're only anonymous when you need to be anonymous, you kind of show everybody, uh, uh, or showing everybody like who is like who is doing something. Yeah. It is that when somebody, uh, so basically, like a lot of bad ops, like a lot of people see people on that use Tor and how they get caught is because they just started using Tor (laughs) instead of just using it all the time. And that's how they get caught. They download the Tor browser, and they use it, and then something happens or something gets leaked. So it's like, ha, it's that computer, that terminal right there, and that's how they get found out majority of the
0: time. Thankfully, it's so user-friendly. I have no idea how to use Tor. I'm sure I would be in jail by now if I could figure it it out.
1: It is actually very user-friendly. The main problem is most people just forget to turn it on. It's just a just a standard operating procedure. It's if you <laughs> is that where I'm going thing, wrong? Yeah. And the best thing a lot of people mess up with their OPSEC is they feel like they're too good or they got too complacent with it and they don't use a checklist. All right, turn it on. Check that you got it turned on. Hey, Vincent Cooper. Hey, Wicker Kinder. Uh, and that's where a lot of people mess up in their OPSEC. they just they think like, well, I have this, so I don't need to. You know, I don't have to worry, but. It's everyone being, using encryption, being anonymous. You do that to protect everyone that when, when they need it. So that journalist that's out there hiding that, or like just exposing something or they're, or a government employee that's whistleblowing on a terrible project like collateral murder. They, they got to be able to release that out there without be able to be found out. Because they'll suffer the consequences. Just like uh, Chelsea Manning, uh, she suffered the consequences for years sitting in prison. And the only reason she has is because um, uh, Obama, uh, what is it, not not pardoned, what did he do, Uh, not expunged? Commuted. Commuted, thank you. Commuted, her sentence. Other than that, she'd still be rotting in in that hole over there, okay? And that's why I'm a huge privacy advocate, as getting people to, because... A lot of this stuff should be commonplace so and people should just use it so you know they
3: it should be built into the operating systems that people can talk to vpns a lot easier than mm-hmm. they can right so you can you can go and sign up to nord vpn you know pay what mm-hmm. five ten dollars a month or whatever and it's put on your phone and it's automatic and everything's encrypted it goes in and out of the data side of your phone but it still doesn't stop the tracking of the phone calls and the texts and stuff that happen right so I mean, that was one of the great things Correct. about WikiLeaks was that we had a place where people could anonymously send the information they want whistleblown,
4: mm-hmm. um,
3: yeah. and it would get out there. And it was heralded as a great thing by the left when they were doing it uh, for against Bush. But they, the Correct. minute they used it against Obama or Hillary, uh, then it's the Russian front.
0: It's like the truth doesn't have a political party or something.
1: Uh oh. All right. Everyone says is coming through really low. Hold on. Let's see if I can get that on the mixture board.
3: Am I coming in low now?
1: They say you're coming in low. All right. Let's, let's just say some more bars for me, Reinhold, real quick. Sorry about this. Teaching hospice, working hospice.
3: Can you hear me better now?
0: Huh. I can hear you fine. I've been able to hear you fine the whole time.
2: Yeah, uh, I've been able to hear you fine. I don't know quite what seems to be going on on the other end. That's
1: very odd. But hmm. so he says he can hear me fine. That's weird. Right. We just reversed roles
3: for the last week. <sighs>
1: <laughs> All right. Sorry. Where were we? Well, you're good.
0: So, let again, I, I love doing this. Let's play devil's advocate, though. How do you stop then the, somebody from slandering somebody anonymously, making up a bunch of stupid stuff? I mean, that's been happening for, you know, since at least our country's history and probably since world history. Making up a story, getting it anonymously published and throwing it out there and... Getting it published and the guy's like, hey, I'm not responsible for the story. Some anonymous guy told me that George Bush's dad is a lizard person.
3: Well, journalists, journalism used to have some rules where they had to follow, but lately they've been ignoring those rules. It used to be that you had to have independent confirmation on a story. You had to have somebody who would go public on it uh And you use the in the the unnamed source to get somebody else to respond to it, to get them on the record for it. It was never really meant to be just anonymous sources. Right. So you even with Deep Throat and Watergate, they, you know, Bradley wouldn't let them publish anything without other sources and other independent verification of that story. They couldn't just run with what Deep Throat was telling them, what Mark Felt was telling them. So. Lately, Correct. it just seems like those practices have just been thrown out the window because everybody's trying to earn the buck mm-hmm. and and get be to be the first to the story and not do the due diligence on it because we have a much shorter news cycle than we used to have
1: right. Everyone wants to come out first, and no one's uh waiting for um to yeah co- co- <laughs> Collaborate the uh, the sources. So just like cl- uh, collateral murder, they took it and they went there and they tried to figure out. Okay, well, they got this anonymously, and now everyone's trying to verify. Like, hey, is this true? They went through different handles. Look at the look at the pictures. Looked at the military reports. Like, okay, and verified. Like, okay, this thing is real, or as real as we can tell. You know, and then they put generals on. on uh, basically, it was like, hey, what's your information on this? Oh, we can't. You know, and and, that, and that's how the story developed. Now. From trying to stop someone going so, say, saying something anonymous on the net and posting like slanderous material, that's just you know, for a quick, dirty answer, like dirty answers, like that's the price freedom. <laughs> Sorry for the quick, dirty answer. Um, I could probably come up with a better one if given time. Well, there's people oh, who are trying. Quick-
3: so there's lawsuits against the CNN and Washington Post and all that stuff about what happened with the um, the um kids with the bag of hats. And it's just like they weren't maliciously trying to destroy those kids. They were reporting on a video that was, you know, gone viral. So they're reporting on this mm-hmm. viral video and letting people see what they saw on the video. And people are making up their own minds on it. And people were giving their opinions on it on the opinion side of the news stories. Uh, and then other information came out and it changed the narrative a little bit and how I don't know how you can go after those sources for just reporting on what was presented to them as saying that they were doing something malicious, but that's what people are wanting to do now they're wanting to stamp down on anybody saying anything bad about the people who they feel are on their side or they feel have been wronged or whatever. So you have to have some free. If you're going to believe in free speech, you have to believe in free speech for everybody. You know,
0: I I don't give them that amount of leniency. I, I wouldn't sue them for slander. I would just stop paying attention to anything they have to say. I did have a beef with it in the sense that, I mean, heck we had tad telling us in chat that the story was baloney 10 minutes after BuzzFeed no, it was released
3: much, it, you know, <laughs> it was hours and hours after it was, he didn't say okay. anything
0: until like almost midnight that night when
3: the first alternative news sources were starting to uh, report that there might be an alternative story to it.
0: Right? Well, so, I mean, we had, we had multiple angles of the video accessible very quickly afterwards. I mean, I, I, I guess I can say that Tad, it seemed quick to me after i had heard the buzz story that he was on it. And the fact that they were reporting still a week afterwards by saying, look at how the right has tried to frame our story. Look at how the right has tried. To I mean, CNN didn't, they retracted it two weeks afterwards. I mean, it, it, it took them forever. I mean, it was bad. It was bad. I wouldn't sue him or, you know, lawsuit him. It was bad. However, Harry, I don't think that your answer was bad because I think the thing is, is that is the price and that's personal accountability. For me, I will never listen to anything the Washington Post says at their word ever again. They did this to themselves when they made up a bunch of lies about Trump and they published them. And somebody revealed this by saying, if I put these stories side by side, that either these 33 stories are wrong or these 45 stories are wrong based on this bit of information that we found out. Right. And so they ended up, they kept it all anonymous, but that doesn't mean you end up not disproving yourself just because you hide by anon behind anonymity and you make up a bunch of lies, w- whether they did or not, maybe they had, they believed every single mate. Let's just say it was a hundred different Reddit scanners, scammers that they listened to and just were like, Hey, let's public- let's make a story out of it, you know, but they've been totally discredited. Everybody knows. Now you listen to Washington post, you're a moron. You know, people will know if you if you say, hey, I got this from CNN, you're a dipstick, you know. And so for me, that's the that is the price then that you pay. It's you might get away with it sometimes, but you're not going to get away with it every time. And if you make up enough lies and slander, eventually someone can prove it wrong. I thought it was interesting. We're listening to Liberty's First Crisis right now um, in the book club. And this was a price a lot of these guys, these early journalists paid, was they thought they could make up some stories. Some politicians like, actually, that didn't happen. And in fact, I have the letter from her right here that says exactly what actually did happen. And they would publish it, and that d- journalist would get smashed in the teeth because he published a lie. Now, a lot of times they just say, eh, I just, you know, we make some educated guesses, and we get we get them wrong from time to time. And so I think it encourages a society that says, hey, we need to not pay attention to you anymore. You know, we need to not give you as much leniency as we've been giving you anymore. We've been trusting you on these anonymous sources. Now that we know you don't investigate them or you downright lie about it, I'm out. And it's tough because we live in a sheeple land. And so I think people are, I'll, I'll let you go, but I think people are willing to believe more and let it get away with it. I think instead of encouraging the media to be more responsible, I think we need to encourage media listeners to be more responsible for their media
3: the other way around. Well, that's the big deal is that so many people are just going to sources that, you know, validate their own biases. They're not looking at whether or not what they're saying is true or what they're saying is false or is the clickbait headline really backed up by the article? And are you running with with clickbait because you didn't even read the article? You just saw the headline and went with it. You know, there's there's a lot of that stuff and echo chambering going on these days and no one's being – Told that they're not wrong to do that, you know. So that's that's where the issue really lies. In there is that we can say we want to demand better from the news sources, but if that were the case for the majority of people, they would be demanding more news sources, and it would be happening. Instead, we're getting people who would rather know about Gaga Cooper or the uh, the Housewives of Atlanta, or you know, there's so (laughs) many other stories that they'd rather hear about. They don't care. They just want their biases filled. Right and, and bolster
0: yeah yeah no i'm with you all right i
1: just want to say hi to cobo to us or us uh but the thing is like one thing with uh, cnn and a lot of those guys is that they've been fake news for a long time <laughs> like oh, yeah. a long time well i mean it, it wasn't even like a lot of the stuff they were reporting on it was just the, some of the stuff that was just slanted like it was oh, off; it was just offbeat to it, and okay. some stuff was just so blatant it was almost comical. Well,
3: it's been like way for decades, and but it was never—I don't think it was ever as bad as it is now. I think now it's okay, gotten a lot worse, that. but it was always bad, and and everybody had their own biases. But that's been true for centuries. It's right. So yeah, this whole idea of journalism being uh, unbiased is really a new invention from the twentieth century. Uh, for a period of a few decades, and then it just reverted back to what we're normal with. you know we used to have the Richmond Republican or the you know you know Greenville Democrat or whatever they would they in their titles would admit what their biases were right and and you can go read stories from the time and you can see like there's a uh, a documentary I did—I looked at on the uh, on Tombstone, and you can look at the two different newspapers, and the one was Republican backed, the one was Democrat backed, and that's what that was—was was really a Republican-Democrat thing, anyway. Um, and when you go look at it, the stories in those two newspapers are so different because of the way the reporting was done. It's like two different situations happened, but they're all talking about the same event.
0: You know, accountability in media, I just think, is something that is just always going to be up to – you're better off it bad media getting out there and the public determining it than trying to get the government to force it in there. It's Well,
3: you're going to end up with them wanting to say, you have to be a journalist, you need a a license to do so. You need to be identified as a reporter. You need to be, you know, approved – before your voice can be put out there as an opinion, as opposed to just spouting off on a blog and then having to, you know, be, be silenced. So, oi, mate, you got a license for that opinion. I mean, that's what's <laughs> going, that's what's going to happen. That's what people are trying to push. They were trying with the fairness doctrine, uh, decades ago. You know, they've been wanting this because people want their message to be out there and the opposing message to be silenced. And that's whoever's in power is trying to push it the other way back and forth every time.
0: No, totally true. And it's been that way for forever. I think you you did well by saying centuries. Uh, again with the book that I'm reading, that there is this uh Benjamin Franklin Beige, who is very anti-federalist, would just post stuff and say, you know, hey, Washington's been having all these affairs. All the women involved denied it. And in fact, many of them had never been in the same state with him at the same time and were able to prove it. And so they'd go to him and they'd be like, why and he'd be like "Eh, that's the way i lean like that's just you know the bias you're getting so really like it's it's not one of those problems and this is in i mean what 1790 i mean this is this has been a problem for centuries it's not one of this modern oh because we have social media or because we have this or that it gets around bad media has been a thing for forever by the way the national association of broadcasters is on the top 20 lobbyists uh, let's see, $229 million last year paid to politicians. I just looked it up. So, yeah. yeah, paid out to politicians to try and, again, what you said, get licensed so that people like, frankly, us are are quieter, you know?
1: Correct. And that's the other reason why the FCC was a pile of gigantic dicks is because they restricted a lot of the ways news outlets back in the day used to make money was controlling print, radio, and um, broadcasting. So the FCC would control can control which frequencies you could use, and would rent those out, so you could stop certain messages from getting out. Just because, hey, they can't talk to anyone. The power of the internet has allowed many different, um, quote unquote, news organization, opinion piece people out there to take news, digest it down, and give like nuanced talk to it, or just to break things down. So most people will go through an article, like look at it, rip the bias, you know, be able to rip the bias out, or just be able to see a you know, a mass of different news articles to go like, okay, I can look at 45 news articles of the exact same story and be able to somewhat get a truth. And yeah. in, the, in the past, you couldn't do that because you had, what, four channels, probably like three or five radio channels to listen to. And they're all probably saying around the exact same thing depending on what bias you had and control. and And you were placed in that box, you know, a government box of information. Yeah, before
3: cable, it was... You know, ABC, C B S NBC, and that was it. And they all would pretty much say the same things. They report on the same stories in the same way. It wasn't not a lot of variation.
0: I almost feel like there is cycles in that regard. Like we go from the National Enquirer being like a fringe paper to being like the main event. I guess I feel like right now we're in a swing, and maybe it is because social media a little bit that things like are crazy. But I mean we gotta remember uh, Dan Ra- Rather, in this environment, would not have been fired for what he got fired for at the time he got fired. You know, he made up a story about George W. Bush. He would be the number one number one anchor on CNN right now had he right. not done that. And didn't make, CBS, he didn't. CBS. He didn't make the even story
3: up. up. He just ran with what he thought he was told.
0: Sure. Well, and all. And I mean, his guys warned him, hey, maybe you shouldn't do it. And he was like, no, nah, let's do this. We got to be early on it. And then it ended up not being true. So, I, I mean, there's some. How accountable is he for saying we want to get, you know, if this story seems credible, let's put it forward. Oh, oops. I'm it. Oops. You know, (laughs) it ended up not being credible, but I went with it like it was my bad. You know, I, I, I think in this environment we would take a, my bad from an anchor and not even think twice about it. You know, we'd just be like, Oh, well you admitted he messed up. I mean, heck, BuzzFeed originated the MAGA hat kid and they're like, yep, we screwed that up about as hard as we can screw it up. And people are still watching, you know, people still watch Buzz- BuzzFeed, you know? So I think it cycles a little bit. We're just in a cycle of kind of being cooler about letting people lie right now. And eventually, I, I guess eventually we'll be sick of it, but we'll see.
3: Well, simply, and you got to understand too, some, just because a news media has a bad story or they get something wrong uh, and they fail to. A- follow their own journalistic principles in order to rush a story. Everybody's kind of under that pressure these days. It doesn't mean that everything that they report is bad. Uh, And that's, I think, the mindset people are starting to get into is to say, okay, anything coming out of this source is, you know, completely bad and we won't listen to it. It's like, okay, take what they said, go look it up for yourself, find out if you believe it or agree with it. Does it fit with what you think reality is? You know, do your own checking on it don't just dismiss it out of hand either. Right. So, I mean, there's some stories that'll come out that I might roll my eyes to. Cause I'm like, well, I understand where the bias is here. And I doubt that this is this way. And you go look it up and you find out for sure they're, they're pushing the envelope. They're fudging the story to get their in mind, their view out. Um, but then you've got places that are like, um, there, there's some, there's some stuff that was out during the Bush years that was so bad as a journalistic source, that it's almost satire. It's, it's completely based in nothing. And you have to try to, uh, you know, take those and say, okay, those I'm, gonna, I'm not going to listen to. But for the most part, most people are trying to put the story out as right as they can. Yeah.
0: Well, I got, for me, I just got, I got tired of quoting. For me, it was my, the first one to fall for me was Fox News. Like a lot of people, I got sick of quoting them <laughs> thinking I was quoting a legi- like a legitimate story. Mm-hmm. And it ended up not being true or being severely biased or or you know very selective with facts, I guess we'll mm-hmm. say. And I just was like, I can I need to stop quoting them because I will look stupid when it happens. I think for or if it doesn't pan out that way. So I think, I don't know, it's hard because I don't want to dismiss everything. And even I will still use uh I think you have to go like reporter, journalist by journalist, or reporter by reporter almost. Mm-hmm. But I just I wish that I knew more of the reporters individually. For me, it's easy. Like you said, it's easy for me to blanket BuzzFeed is just being fake now, you know, because one guy chose to do a really bad story on something that he knew better than to do and spin it his way. And it's probably one person. It's not every single person at BuzzFeed. Most of them probably lean that way, but they aren't liars. One guy is a scumbag, not all of them. But it's hard because now, anytime I say, oh, look what BuzzFeed released... I'm going to take a deep breath and be like, is it true, though? <laughs> you know, so I, I don't know. I think because I don't know enough about the reporters. We don't have journalists on We're Libertarian. It sucks, but we don't send a guy out there. You know, I don't have a reporter who saw it. So I have to trust the news. So when the news lies, it really pisses me off. Like it's pr- one of the most egregious things for me because I I don't I have to report. They are my reporters and I'm the interpreter. And so if, when they report something bad, it makes me look bad. And it really makes me mad.
3: And there are places out there that do follow the reporters around and show you whether this reporter has also been involved in other stories and things like that. Uh, no agenda does a really good job of that where they will, oh, do they? yeah, they will follow and say, okay, this is the guy who said the story about this years ago. And this is what he does here. And this is, you know, that's like, there's a guy who was fired from, I think it was um, Washington post for making up, uh, or running with the story about Roger Stone before the facts came out that it was false. And he got fired for it. Mm-hmm. And then he turned around six months later and was hired as the news director at uh, MSNBC or something like that. I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was one of those news organizations. Now, he's the director mm-hmm. there. And it's like, you guys didn't learn anything? <laughs> he just he was <laughs> recycling this guy who it was a problem before for someone else, right? So, right.
0: I, I think I remember that story because didn't, I think Washington post even threw one of the best by saying, Hey, of our, what it was like 83 anonymous sources in the last month, 53 of them came from this guy yeah. and we're letting him go. So, yeah. so yeah. I understand the anonymous source thing got out of control, but it's, it's mm-hmm. mostly him, you know? Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah, And and you're right. Like um, when you said like Fox news, let you down, I remember when CNN let me down, you know, yeah. like watching, like having news come in and, or selectively added, uh, you know, like they selectively picked, picked facts. Um, I think one of the, my favorite one uh, or the indie star, like to me, I liked print media for me. I always said, always thought that if someone went, took the time and effort, especially in his day and age to put pen to paper or printing paper, right? They, this had to be research. This took a while. So you might as well make sure this is the best thing that you could put together. Well, even that gets wrong sometimes. Indianapolis I think the Indy Star when Indy Star did that whole uh, food desert thing in Indianapolis uh, and then it's and it stinks when you watch a news organization that you did trust, you watch them do that. But all that does is one should reaffirm that you are reading this article with a critical mind, and you're critical thinking as you're reading this article, so that you can pick up these things. Yeah. So at first you can be pissed off, but it's like, okay, at least I know I'm actively reading this thing, not just glossing it over and just reading a headline.
0: Yeah. I just need to do a better job. Maybe uh, Reinhold, I guess I got to get with you afterwards and find that list and talk about journalists that we can trust. Because I, I, I remember once uh, it was actually CNN when Obama tried to kick the Fox reporter out of the conference and the CNN guy stood up and was like, you kick him out. I'm leaving too. Like, yeah. and Oh, and and they took it all back, and they said, "No, no, never mind. Everybody can stay." But I remember being like, I had like so much respect for CNN after that, and then it was, and then it, it was all gone. But I think that's because I'm. It's not CNN. It's not Fox News. It's this guy. It's that guy. And I just need to. I guess I need to identify who those good journalists are again. I, I well, have no idea now. Well, my,
3: I think the best journalism I've been finding is on the intercept and even then they get a few things wrong here and there but for the most part they Mm -hmm. source everything and and do a really good Mm -hmm. job of finding out the details and i i usually kind of start there first on any type of you know if i read something in somewhere and i go look at the intercept and they've got a wholly different you know take on it then i can go okay let me look and see and start putting things together but i learned a long time ago to do that i mean i used to write for Watchblog. And the whole point of Watchblog was to mm-hmm. uh, have uh, Democrats, Republicans, and independent libertarians all on the front page together, three in three separate columns. So when you went mm-hmm. to the page, you saw stories from all three mindsets. And it was us writing, it was, it was opinions, but it was still us writing these articles. And you would see an event happen and you would see the left's version of it, the right's version of it, and the libertarian's version of it. All on the same same page, and then you could start seeing the differences, and that's when I you like start, that. That's when you start noticing that, and then uh, real clear politics does that, where they you go to their page and yeah, you'll go down the list of the op eds, and it's like here's a left source, here's a right source, here's a left source, here's a right source, you know, and it's it's <laughs> they're all saying like mm-hmm. uh, this is a good thing that this has happened, and this is the most horrible thing that happened, and they're talking about the same thing, so you can get both yeah. both mindsets, and you start reading them and putting the, together your own. Uh, opinion based off of each sure. each each side's presentation of the story.
0: Yeah, well, I think people people push for unbiased, and I think I don't know that that's achievable because I think if we if it's just stats, I mean, there would be no news story. It's not a story. It would just be here's a video clip or here's a statistic, and that's it. And so I like the concept of saying here's three people all have admit their biases, all see the world in a different way. And here's how they see that world. Uh, Harry, what you said about written, I uh, uh, written stuff. And, and I think that that, if somebody will sign their name on it, mm-hmm. it's much more valuable than somebody just saying it. Um, if you guys listen to boss hog of Liberty, a few weeks ago, they had uh, Travis White on the program. And he was, uh, he, he, he's the editor of the courier times and talks about how he keeps his newspaper alive in this digital media era. And a lot of it is because anything he knows he puts in the newspaper. Yes. He has to wait one day and he has to print it. But if it's gotten to the point where he's printing it, it's fact. And that's kind of how he keeps it alive because everybody can use his paper a hundred years from now and say, I know this happened Mm -hmm. and that's how he, he stays alive. So I think, I think there is something to be said for written. If somebody's willing to put their name on it, it's, you know, it's, it's much more valuable than somebody tweeting about it, I guess.
3: Well, and it yeah. used to be that uh, when we did have just the three major news uh, sources out there, the ABC, CBS, NBC, they would mm-hmm. basically come on for half an hour, report the basic facts of what happened, and that was it. They let people decide on their own what it meant. Um, and then over the years, it's morphed back into here's you know why you should care about this, and this is the – you know, the extenuating circumstances on why this matters this way and that way. And he started putting spins on all the stories. Mm-hmm. Right. But there was a period of time where it was really just, uh, Walter Cronkite just trying to state the facts as it were, as he saw them or as the reporters saw them on the field. Right. So that was a very short golden age, I think. For that unbiased journalism, because before that, you had the gossip porters and Hedda, you know, and all those people back in the 20s and 30s who would destroy careers. You know, what they did to Fatty Arbuckle and Charlie Chaplin was horrible. Um, Yeah. But, you know, it just seemed like there was a shift for a period of time and then it just went away. And people started could realizing like- they, prop- they could propagandize their views. And the fact that the government can now legally propagandize to us, which they couldn't do until a few years ago, until Obama, while Obama was in office, he, he passed that change. Mm-hmm. So now you have these propaganda arms like Voice of America, who could only operate outside the United States because propaganda was not allowed to be used on U.S. citizens. Well, that's not illegal anymore. So now they can start feeding that stuff right back into us and it's getting into our news shows if you don't think that there aren't uh, intelligence agency people working at all of the major news sources right now uh you're you're naive as as I'll
1: get out okay all right it's Scalja, you've been quiet. Did you want to say something before we, before I move? Scalja, we can only assume he's he's been attacked by ninjas. So rest in peace, Scalja. Press F <laughs> for <before> Scalja, everyone. <laughs>
0: Dude, but yeah, he's on mute right now. I don't know if he may okay. if he knows it or not. But it's okay. Press F for Scalja. All right, All right um, F. <laughs>
1: And and to me, that's always like what newspapers were. They were like these written facts. They were like daily books, basically written the history of the world. Like this is the history, and this is what happened on that day. And then you're right, like a lot of different opinion pieces. Of course, we could be looking at the past completely wrong. There's only a few stories like that that we are remembering, and it was all just opinion piece crap. And it has always been crap. Possibly, well,
3: I like I said, I think I think the time we were growing up, like in the 70s and 80s. It was a much oh, different so I'm
1: gonna time. I'm going to stop you there, stop you there Uh When you were growing up.
3: I grew up in the 60s and 70s. So I was trying to give you a little <laughs> bit of benefit of the doubt there. But, um, but yeah, during that time, I think it was a lot more... The, the written paper was trying to be more fact-based, right? And then you... But like I said, you remember back in the Civil War area, Tombstone, early nineteen hundreds, it was not like that. It was very slanted. You could see the slants in the news articles when you go back and read them. So Mm -hmm. I think that, like I said, we just kind of grew up in a golden age where we got spoiled Mm -hmm. with print media being trying to be more than what they were, and then giving up on it as the money started going away because of the internet.
1: Okay. Um, couple of things. Um, take Reinhold out of context. He just said he remembered the Civil War. So remember, next time Reinhold says how old he is, he remembers the Civil War. Um, the other thing we need to know is, Reinhold, can you briefly, uh, just very briefly, talk about Charlie Chapman? What do you mean that the media? I don't know about him. Sorry. Only thing I know about Charlie Chapman is just some of the comedy videos that I've seen. So what do the media say about him? Well Roy, um well
3: it was it was um partially in the media, partially the burgeoning FBI or with um uh what's his name? I can't remember his name for some reason. The guy who was in charge of the FBI for so long. Um But he was just oh, getting started. Wow. Um, um Yeah, what used to work women's clothes. <laughs> that was the old saying. <laughs> uh, but he so what happened was is that he Hoover. was J. Edgar Hoover. J. Edgar Hoover. That's it. Yeah. So he was just getting started in the bureau at this time, and um, so there was a concern about people being socialists and, or communists at the time. And and Charlie Chaplin had said some things that he was like he felt. He said he felt for Russia because Russia gave up so much during World War I, World War II, You know, to help save everybody and things like that were said. How he felt that we. We should owe them that. And it was taken to say, oh, he, he's all for communism now. And he's like, no, that's not what I said. Hmm. But they just started twisting the things he was saying. So where it got into the, the FBI, where they were looking for a reason to kick him out of the country. And on top of that, he had some, um, he had some issues with some women who were you know, of, of younger age, as it were. Uh, but he got accused of being somebody's father who he had never slept with. And the courts were clear that he had nothing to do with it, but they still, uh-huh. because of the pressure and the and the media attention at the time, he was ruined and made to pay support for that child. Oh wow! Uh, for for you know eighteen years, whatever. So, uh, and then when he went to go back to England on a trip, his passport was pulled the day after, and he wasn't allowed to come back in the country.
0: Somewhat similar with Fatty Arbuckle, too. That was just a crucifixion oh. in the media. Yeah, I mean, Fatty Arbuckle
3: was, was accused of, of killing a girl at a party that he didn't yeah. know was nowhere near around him. But the, the sensationalization of the story was so big that he okay. was found guilty. And yep. and his career was over. Oh,
0: no, they, I thought they oh, – Did he find him yeah, innocent? I thought he and, hung – Yeah. You know, it, after two trials of hung juries. That's right. Yeah, that's right. On the wow. third, they finally found him innocent. But, his I mean, at that point, everybody – yeah yeah I mean, and, and at the time, and it was funny is people you know fatty Harb- uh, Arbuckle, I think is pretty much dead to history for most people. at the time they got him, he was I mean, he was by far the number one paid actor and well,
3: well him and yeah. him and Charlie Chaplin were both, and they they appeared together in some movies um, early on. So it was kind of neat to see I watched some old documentaries recently, and I was watching them two together trying to outdo each other in a scene (laughs) they could tell they were (laughs) ad-libbing the whole thing and they were just trying (laughs) to one-up each other and it was hilarious to watch but um yeah i think him and charlie were both like the number one number two back and forth for a long time
0: yeah he he was making a million dollars in 1920 a year (sighs) so that's something to think about right (laughs) oh Oh. yeah i mean that's uh, babe ruth was looking up to him (laughs) that's that's a big cash
3: So, yeah, the uh, and Charlie Chaplin was really interesting story, too, that he had made all that money and he had women chasing down like he was trying to um, put together the movie, the kid. And he was going through a divorce and her lawyers were trying to tell him her that she could take the movie from him. So he would go he went on the road uh, out of state and started hiding in hotels to put the movie together so that he could keep oh, her wow. from getting a hold of it. Uh, he ended up being able to keep it, and she agreed to something else. Um, but he made all this money, and then he pulled everything out of the stock market a year before it crashed.
1: Good move. Good move. Yeah. Uh,
0: just, 1920s actors, you knew Loki Wall was going to get hot.
1: Oh, I need to know. This Any is the word uh, but, We're
3: topical, um, maybe.
1: Yeah. Of <laughs> Kanye West is holler. We want prenup. We want prenup.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Dang, he's going to take his movie. That's cold. That's 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 just mean. That's just vindictive. That's, <laughs> oh, it, was, it was scary.
3: He was funny because he the, the, every uh, documentary about him will talk about that, that period of time where he's editing the film, lugging around crates of reels from hotel to hotel mm-hmm. trying to keep ahead of the private int- agents trying to find him. <laughs> Sorry. And then, and then he spent like two years making what I, I argue is the most romantic movie ever made city lights. So um, that's the most romantic movie to you. It is. And these the most random. A lot of people will remark that it. It's probably the most and first romantic comedy period. I can't watch the end of that movie without crying. I don't know. Anybody can. Or how oh, wow. they could.
0: Oh, wow. I cry That's over good. dog food commercials. So, I mean, I'm I'm probably not a good candidate to try and <laughs> you should, you should watch challenge myself then. there. It's, it's, <laughs> the, it's,
3: the last, it's the last silent movie that Charlie Chaplin did because it was talkies mm-hmm. were already out at the time and he refused to do talkies with the tramp. But mm-hmm. it's uh, it's a masterpiece. And the fact that he took so long to make it to make it work right. Is is a testament. He was paying his people. That's the other thing too. Is that all the people who were ever on his payroll got paid, whether he was working or not. He still paid them weekly anyway because they were all loyal to him.
1: Oh wow,
0: That's a good guy. Didn't uh, Jackie Chan have like a stunt stunt group? And, they, and like he still he, does. They, yeah, they all made the same amount of money. Something crazy. Yeah, he was part of a group. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, he still does. Has his own group. He was part of. A- like that that's just how that whole like culture that that they had out there and that and it's another reason why jackie chan still does tons of movies but he does them over in china because of the the control and that the the group that's able to do things they'll like having jackie chan talk about the way he does movies over there it makes you you know it's it's no wonder a lot of american fight scenes are just such garbage or movies are so garbage because they're just so like quick do this quick just screw it. Dude, see Jazz keep moving. While Jackie Chan just said they're like, all right, we're going to spend, they spent eight app. Like if you watch the Netflix um, movie Kung Fu Yoga, there's a scene when they're flipping around a briefcase. It looks like it was seamless. One take. And it was, they did it really quick. That was a day.
0: <laughs> well, it's an art, right? I mean, isn't that what we originally briefcase. paid for? Art. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was mm-hmm. art. And it was like, and like you watch the movie, then you watch the document and they're talking about it. It's like, it's, you have to watch it again. Like, I can't believe they spent a day on this one scene, but you almost appreciate the movie even more. That's yeah, like, it, but. like
3: with Charlie Chaplin, he was having problems in city lights. If you've seen the movie or you're going to see the movie, um, there's a scene at the very beginning that hinges on a blind girl thinking that he's rich and he couldn't for the life of him figure out how he was going to make her convinced that he was rich. Right. Yeah. And he spent a year just baffled over trying to figure this out. He'd take after take after take, just working it through. Then one day he was in his office and he heard a door slam and he's like, Oh, that's it. Getting out of the car, slammed the door, you know, mm-hmm. that made it work. And it, if that didn't work, the movie doesn't work. So he was dedicated to finding that and the girl who was playing the the blind girl. So she spent mm-hmm. months just sitting in her um dressing room reading books because she had nothing to do, but he she was still getting paid. That's wow. how much the art meant to him. He he financed all of his movies himself too. Wow. That's he never borrowed
0: I'm
1: kind of cool. glad I actually, well, I'm really glad I, um, you know, poked this lead that was buried and uncovered all this about Betty Arbuckle. So I'm sure, I really hope a lot of you guys go and look, look, look it up. Hopefully anyways, just remember, get that pruned up, <laughs> Pruned up.
0: This is uh, from the from the autobiography of Jeff Bezos, things that you need to learn from me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no.
3: <Snips>. The
0: cover section <laughs> on how to take a pick.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no matter what. Well, it, OK, no, it's kind of different for Bezos, though, because she was there. She was working for him, though. She's, she's got a, the
0: she got the startup different. money from her parents, right?
1: Right. Yeah. 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 You know, she you know that's that's a completely different story. Yeah. You know yeah. that's
0: yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I'm just taking a cheap shot joke.
1: I yeah. know, and I feel bad because I kind of like <laughs> like just walk through the joke
0: <laughs> and that
3: and that's, that's really part of the problem is that you have the situation where you have women who are just after a guy's money, and then you have women who legitimately gave up everything that they could have been or wanted to be in order to support her man to go do this thing, and then he gets tired of her and moves on you know she's de- she deserves something so then you have to go on an individual basis and say okay is this is not you know you can't make a blanket ruling and say you know all women get half of every time you have to, you really kind of have to do it case by case mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: if you want to see how in any e- unequal the government applies justice look how far they will go to trace petrodollars and try to get justice for those and then look at how little effort they will spend on domestic dollars and trying to say whose was whose. They're just like, I don't I don't care. And they just don't care.
1: (laughs) But there's hold on I I don't know if you ever um seen the little blog post of calls the unknown history of his It is a great I gonna put it, it is a different look at history inside the United States. Of just some of the, it just kind of like just turns it's just, just different part of it, uh, just unknown talk, the way people talk about different things. And it'll, it'll jest you a little bit. It's, it's weird. It is different. I will drop it in the uh, low key wall chat for anyone who wants to check it out on the Discord. The, yeah. um, it's different. Um, I recommend take, I recommend the read. Um, I'm not gonna pull any of it up right now because a lot of people's. How can I put it? There's uh, there's sources and categories and stuff you can research on it. It is just it's. Oh wow! It is just it just shows that when to me it just gives a different like aspect because when people talk about like how awful um, men can be, well you know what humans are awful creatures. A lot of people screw people over, just like any guy will screw over like their uh, wife who's get, get, get up their best year for him and help support them, got them through med school, and leaves them for like, just a secretary. That's awful and, and crappy. But that, that's another thing, and also understanding that um, relationships can ebb and flow into different things and different parts of, of attraction. Different things are just lying in a communication with each other. I want to know about the
3: some of the really sick things people can do there's a song by Jonathan Colton uh, I love Joko. called gonna make you cry and it's oh he even said that after he got done recording it he was sick to his stomach for recording it and it's 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 about this guy who's in love with a girl but she doesn't like him back you know but she's friends mm-hmm. with him so he's going to spend all of his time to try to win her love With the sole purpose of when he does, when he finally breaks her and she falls in love with him, he's going to make her cry and treat her like dirt and, you know, dump her and everything else just to get even. That's awful. That's awful. (laughs) awful. It's just like, there's people like that, though. There's crazy people out there.
0: All right. And it's hard to talk about gender issues without, like, taken aside, or like starting or seeing it as sides I guess like because it, it just becomes so I think it's hard to not feel personally attacked on one way or another and so it I becomes I we'll think see. for me it's it's, a, it's been a journey to to even where I'm at right now and even then I don't know that I do it right because my brother who's very keen on these issues will be like hey by the way when you talk about women like this discuss it like this and not like what you did on the show and I'm like oh okay I'm sorry I didn't I didn't think about yeah.
3: it. Well, it takes time sometimes to see things from another person's point of view, too. So when mm-hmm. um, one thing that really stuck out with me a long time ago is I was just starting to date my current wife, and um, she had had a wreck. So she took her car in to get worked on, and um, she went in to ask them some questions about it, and she, she would ask the guy the question. The, the guy would then turn to me and answer
0: Oh, yeah. And I'm just, I like, see that. Dude, yeah. Working what? in restaurants, I see that all the time. Like, let me tell you what she wants. Or she'll start to order and he'll be like, ah, she wants the number three. And I'm just like, oh,
3: Well, my uh, wife okay, wouldn't prefer me to order for her. She tells me what she wants That's and I do fine. order, but I wouldn't do it yeah. without her, you know, asking me to do it. You know what I'm saying?
0: Or stop
3: her. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like that. Yeah. It, it gets crazy. But the, yeah. Well, you talk about relating. I think, I think it's hard because I think you naturally it's hard to not feel attacked. I know for me, a term that I used to use all the time was the nice guys finish last thing. Uh. And it's because, well, now hold on, hear me out here. It's because I was in college and I was trying to date and I guess I was some kind of incel or whatever. And nobody liked me (laughs) and I, dude, I, I'll admit it. You know what I mean? Like I was looking for like a relationship and everybody else is looking for a good time and not really relationship. And I would go and I would try, I'd try at bars, I'd try at my Bible study. I would try, I just try, 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 you know, and I'm working on finding, you know, I worked on finding that connection, you know, and ultimately somebody that I cared about, like a friend, I'm not just like trying to date anybody, you know, I would be like, oh, this person, we have a lot in common. Let's see if something could happen here. Would end up banging some rando in the bathroom and then crying about it the next day later, and I'm there picking up the pieces. And that's what I meant by it. Okay. You know, and I don't, she never owed me sex. Like, I, I never, okay. and I feel like that's how it always comes off. It does. But I just, but,
1: but. <laughs> that was my first assumption. I will, I will say, I will be truthful. That was my no, assumption. No,
0: but, and I understand why, because that's, whenever you see it, whenever people take the screenshots, it's some beta, whatever, trying to guilt some girl and being like, you know, give me nudes. No, nice guys finish last. And it's like, what how I used it was always here I am like I've got my life together I am a homeowner I, you know I, I I mean I'm trying to like do all these things and I know this is like kind of great Gatsby like I know you can't earn somebody's love I get it right I get that and she they have the right to bang whoever they want in anybody's car in anybody's bathroom it doesn't matter it's not I should not be mad but I still feel like I should be able to talk about that experience and have some verbiage to talk about the experience of people like me, because the people like me, it, my experience was not unique. There is a whole group of incels right now. Not all of them are disgusting, awful, evil, you know, naggy, whatever people, a lot of them cared about a girl (laughs) and are sick of watching the girl bang randos and then pick up the pieces afterwards. And we don't mind picking up the pieces, but we care about them. We care about them going out the next day and doing the same thing again. And it's like, why are they the right people? Why am you, I not?
3: You can't fix people. That's the problem. So the the problem happens, I think, a lot is when people are a younger age and they mature a little bit faster than their peer groups do. right? So then you have women who, okay, you get your life together. You think you've got everything figured out. And these women are just trying to figure out themselves. They don't know who they want or what they want. When you talk to women, they realize when they get a little bit older that – the type of guy they are really attracted to are the guys who have it all together. But at that time, they're still working out through issues that they had growing up and that they were put through. And, you know, a lot of them were somewhat abused at some point. And so now they're having to deal with that in their lives. And they end up with some, some have daddy issues. Some have other issues. And uh, so they're working through all of that and they're attracted to the wrong guys, as it were for them, but they figure it out eventually. So, so it's not a case of they finally coming around and realize you're then a good guy. It's just, they finally work themselves through a point where they realize that they're attracted to the kind of guy that you were the whole time. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so that's, that doesn't really, the, the stories, the movies are like, Oh, you know, you stick around long enough and they'll figure it out. And that's not how it should work. If you're not, getting the response from the, the girl that you're liking, you should move on to someone else immediately, right. you know, find a person who is ready to, you know, be attracted to that sort of thing. And, right. then it, and, and don't, yeah. don't keep giving of yourself to someone who isn't there to really appreciate it. They're not mentally there yet.
1: Yeah. All right. So the chat has um, weighed in on some of this. Uh, Wikikender J- says Jackie isn't held very high regard in China. Apparently, he's known as kind of the sleazy ladies' man, possibly complete BS. I read on the internet. Um, with that, Jackie Chan, to some people in s- the martial arts community, as well, who watch the movie, in that community, that he's he is high regard. But you are correct; um, he is seen as a you know you know womanizing you know like sleazeball like that. Yes, um, Wikikender also said we said we live in the best of times. It hasn't been that long ago that public effusion social event. Vincent Cooper chimes in, people use the title nice guys as a wear or a game to play to get sex. It makes it harder for people who aren't using it as a facade. Kendra of responds, everyone thinks that they are the nice guy. Nobody thinks that they are the bad guy. And Vincent Cooper, don't fall for the skunk cost fallacy. I don't even know what the skunk cost fallacy is. Does
2: Sunk. Here know? Sunk. Sunk. Why Why he-
1: that I said skunk. Oh, sorry. Oh, my
2: God, Harry. <laughs>
1: um, now, is back. Now, Skalja wants to talk.
2: Yeah, well, I had to field a phone call from my father, uh, which, if you knew my weekend, I wouldn't be skipping a phone call from my father. So, uh, no, and I think... I think one of the big issues with the entire... Uh, I... I have no idea about the incels. The incels to me, like reek of a level of desperation. They're trying to create a social movement about their, about it. I mean, I I don't want to touch that, but the, the entire friend zone discussion uh, (laughs) has always kind of irritated me because there are absolutely an element on both sides of the gender split that use the promise of a possibility of something more to lead somebody on because it you know it's just something that they uh get some sort of value out of whether it be gifts or just the attention
3: yeah. well yeah the other the other thing too is when i was you know kinda of growing up and trying to figure my things out I didn't realize how much of a hero complex I had where I would try to find a broken girl and fix her, right? So somebody who was just having all kinds of issues from stuff that happened to them when they were, you know, 10, 11, 14, you know, that sort of thing, run away from home. And I would try to find and show them that, hey, you know, life could be better. Here's the way you should do things. This is, you know, save them from that life that they were choosing right and it took me a few years to realize that i was doing that and i was completely wrong to do that like you know yeah you you, you try to help people obviously if you want to help them but they're not ready for it doesn't matter
0: being and, a victim is not a virtue
3: i guess right and i and I was just i was just like instead of finding someone who was healthy who would you know want to be with someone else who was healthy cuz I realized at that point I wasn't healthy. I needed to get myself figured out. So after my first marriage fell apart and then I uh, dated someone who I had known in high school and it turned out into a a kind of a mess. It was it was really bad. Um, I realized I needed to I need to look at me and figure myself out. So I didn't date anybody seriously for 10 years. I I went through a lot of self diagnosis of and figuring things out for me. Now, I didn't say I didn't have fun in those 10 years. Um, but I didn't get into a serious relationship again until I was ready. And then when I did, I met my wife and then we ended up getting married and we've been together for, uh, this year will be 30 years.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah,
3: the, twenty, twenty years. Yeah. Sorry, I'm sorry, twenty years. I'm not that old. It's
0: all right. <laughs> you know what? I made it to five before my divorce, so that's impressive. The uh <laughs> I, I, I guess the reason, and I'm not trying to normalize being an incel at all. One is I feel like Paul, what you said about the incel movement is true. There's like a group of guys that like are like, let's get together and like be awful, and that's awful. I think For me, I don't, I know I was not the only one that I guess was like an incel that nobody wanted to date, but was also not like trying to guilt people into one night stand or have sex or get nudes like, and so it sucks because then when you're like, oh yeah, I'm trying to date, but not successfully. The first thing you hear from people, you know, and you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm a nice guy, but it's not working out well right now. You disgusting pervert, you aggressive alpha wannabe what? And you're just like, whoa! what did I do? Like, what did I just say? Like, apparently I've said some trigger because I'm just, I was just trying to talk about my experiences and now everybody hates me. <laughs> and, and now Reinhold, what you said is absolutely on target. I should not have been targeting the women I was targeting, right? Like the, these women that I would give my heart to uh-huh. did not, we're not worthy of my heart. They did not value, I guess I shouldn't say worthy. They did not value what I brought to the table. They value what they call the dark triad, right? Those sexy, mysterious, whatever guys. And I needed to give them time or whatever to either figure it out or heck not figure it out. If they want to date somebody in a dark triad, that's fine.
3: You know, it's something I I tried to explain to people a long time ago is that when you are in love with someone and they're not loving you back, you're not in love with them. You're an infatuation state. Yes. You you are, you're having feelings that feel like love to you, but true love is going to be reciprocated and at evenly given back and forth. You're anything other than that is something else, and and people will get caught up and hung up on that word that I'm in love with this person. I love, and they convince themselves to go through a lot more than they should go through. When if they would just realize that it's a different thing, and they need to see that, then they would be a lot easier, a lot more motivated to walk away from it and find someone else.
0: How do you control
3: it? Well, words have power. When you tell yourself that this isn't love, that I am not in love with this person, I'm just infatuated with the idea of being with them. Mm
0: -hmm. I've said those words to myself, crying in a shower, many times.
3: Right, but you have you you can gain power over them at that point and say, "No, I'm not going to let them beat me." You know, and that's how I, I always saw it as, and that's how I got past that point where I would just say. I'm not going to let them do this to me anymore. Yeah, I know they're not they're not outwardly trying to hurt me, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to let their indifference to me ruin me anymore or have control over me anymore. I control me, nobody else, nothing else, only me. And then I'm not going to let the bastards win. And that phrase, not going to let the bastards win, has helped me through a lot of things that I had to work through through my life. Because I, I grew up with bullying issues and all kinds of things. And I, you know, I gained power over all of it by realizing that the only person I can control is me. And letting other people have control over me is wrong. And I have to give myself the control. And how I respond to things is all on me.
1: Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've said the exact same things to myself to get myself over different things. The other thing I also say with a lot of young men, which a lot of them won't, a lot of people will brush this aside, but they have to understand that just like um, females, males also have, you know, you have hormone imbalances. You have too much testosterone at some times, and you will, you know, it's not that you're loving, it's just that the your hormones are wanting something that this person is putting off, and that's what you really want, that's it.
0: I was dying for co- consistent compa- companionship. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, did yeah. not. I did. Uh, the, it's sad to call myself incel because that implies that you're going after sex. I wasn't going after sex. I wanted a relationship like, with somebody. I wanted somebody right. to love me.
1: And that's why. And one of the different things would also affect like, men is that the lack of uh, human touch a lot of different times. So a lot of ways that men get human touch, touch interaction is. by by being in a relationship because men for some reason don't like touching other men. They have issues with it. Like I have no issue. Like if men hug me, I don't care. And I get issues like when I, you know, when some guys like, Hey, is it okay? I'm like, it's perfectly fine. You can touch me. It's okay. We're friends. We can touch each other. You know, it's, and it's, so that's a lot of guys who feel like they're depressed. They just can't get this woman. they chase the person. I tell them, you know what? You know what would really help you out? Have us a nice, gentle exercise. Take a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu class. The main reason for the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu class and why you see a lot of BJ guests kind of happy is because they get a lot of touching. Granted, it's all male touching, but it's human touch. And that human touch will help spark endorphins for you and get that need that you You get an exercise. You get your human touch out there. So when you're ready to be out there in the space, you're not, when you're ready to try to court or, get a partner your your emotional need of physical touch has already been made so now you're just trying to make it an emotional yeah you know Hey. I mean? yeah yeah hope that made any sense no absolutely does that, to me as a martial artist
0: <laughs> no i i i think it's i think that men need some kind of revolution about the role of f- physical touch Mm-hmm you know, yes. outside of just how it relates to women, also how it relates to other men. Also, how it relates to yourself and one another and everything. It's one of those that I did not understand for a long time. And when I was going through a really hard time and going through my depression and just all the difficulty there, to have a guy, mm-hmm. and I was lucky because I didn't know I needed it, but who would a guy friend from church who would take me out to lunch, who would talk with me, who would hug me, you know, shake my hand. I wasn't aware of all the healing that was going on during that time because I didn't know it was what I needed. But I remember I could, I couldn't wait for the day. And it's really sad because I have some, I have many friends. In fact, I'm closer with than that guy from church, many, but he is the guy that I have like the most physical contact with. And I mean, as a manager of a restaurant, I've seen women cry in front of me before. I just, I just stand there and watch. I don't even know what to do. Like, I mean, I'm like, is now an appropriate time for a hug? I I don't know the role of it. You know, there's no natural, there's no nature to everything within my bones says, don't touch this person no matter what, you know? And that's because I've been conditioned that way. That's certainly not nature, you know, that's broken. And so something inside of me is very broken from, from my nature. My nature is not violent. I think some people do have like an aggressively sexual, violent nature, and that might need to be fixed. But for me, my nature has been what's what's been destroyed.
1: And if it, yeah, because you you'll see, especially like you know, um, someone at work, especially at like especially at our jobs, you get dehumanized. And this has gone off the rails. We are in a totally different country, but anyways, especially at work, you see someone who is crying and needs physical touch to be to be composed. But you're like, I can't touch this person. Mm -hmm. Can't do anything. I'm, you know, especially if you're you're like in a position of management or director level, you just have to go like, Oh, this is happening. Walk away and get somebody else. Can't do anything. And it, it, it it beats me up inside because I can't do anything. I just have to, I'm watching it. I'm watching someone cry who needs, who needs a, just a human, you know, they need someone to be human. And it's like, well, I'm paying her to be a robot. I'm sorry. Let me go get someone that can be human to you. You end up having to get someone from HR and walk them over and okay. And you feel like you feel awful, but, you know, but deep down inside is like, I, I would have consulted this person,
0: but I can't. It's a tough balance in the role because you don't want to cheapen somebody saying that they love each other. You know, I don't want to make it cheap to say, I love you and use that too much. But at the same time, I love my, my two brothers that I was raised with. I love them more than anybody I have like ever loved ever. And I don't think I've ever been able to straight up say, Hey, Bucky, I love you. Hey, Woody, I love you.
5: There's a a hentai for that. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we
0: got somebody else on the call. We
1: sure do. We got Rencia. Hi, Rencia.
5: What's up? Made some hamburgers, made some taco sticks. What? Taco sticks.
0: We're just talking about feelings and how dumb they are. Yeah, it's
1: well. I honestly like you're right. You don't want to cheapen the word love, but it'd be great if guys would say that to each other, or hug, or saw more guys hug each other. Like, hey, bro, I love you. It's okay. It's fine. Okay.
0: Well, there's there's a difference between. Trying to make it not cheap, but also not making it extinct. I mean, right now, the that is extinct from my world with other guys is telling them that I love them yeah. and, and telling the, them how much they mean to me. That's correct. gone.
1: Yeah, and this is something that's happened re- recently, like the last hundred years, in sort of like male culture, male society. You can go back to tons of different photos of men, you know, basically cuddling with each other. Regularly, early nine hundred, there, you know, you can see them arm in arm, being completely close with each other, and that just kind of has died out. Male,
0: yeah, that's it's sad. It's it, part of it is. I wonder if part of it is, and, and part of it I understand. I think when I took psychology, I understood that there's a na- there's a nature within men to compete with one another. I'm not trying to offer you comfort. I realized when I took the class. And it was just a one one class, but you know how when everybody, when they take psych one one like pretends they understand everything about the universe. Mm-hmm. And I probably have had a little bit of that feeling after I took it too, but I just realized about myself how much I would try to compete with other men as opposed to say, man, that is so awesome that you did that. When some guy's like, oh, I'm so sick right now, instead of me being like, dude, that stinks. Like, does it hurt? You know, instead of being like, oh. Two weeks ago, I got even sicker than that. Like it's a, I don't know why it's this natural, like one upsmanship, Mm -hmm. but instead of encouraging them, my brain says compete with them, you know, Mm. something's messed up on the inside there. I know. And I just think, I think men need a revolution in masculinity and understanding like what it is because it's not masculine to compete over nothing. That's empty headedness. If anything, that's emotional foolishness you know but my my brain can't tell the difference you know being it's brave to tell somebody that you love that you love them it's rather i mean it's rather emotional to mm-hmm. overthink it i mean i i mean almost feminine to overthink it and say i'm not going to say it even though that's how i really feel right that's what we accuse girls of doing all the time but right. i do that all the time i do that with guys you know i just <laughs> and so it's just something that i feel like we need to I, I want somebody smarter than me to do it because like my experience is psych 101. I need the psych 401s to start writing books and I'm sure they have, and I just haven't gotten around to reading them, but you know, I'm sure Sarah's going to listen to this episode and give me eight books, but you oh, know, things to tell me, you know, about, about how to man better, I guess.
1: Freshman philosopher.
3: Yeah. Uh... <laughs> well, I've been reading a book. It's called um, the, the subtle lard of not giving a fuck. And uh, I would recommend that book.
0: Okay. Right. The subtle art of not yeah. giving an F. Yeah. I don't think I, I think that's on our banned Utah list. I'm not sure if I can <laughs> even get that here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> check Audible. All
1: right. So back to the chat. I just re- uh, let's see. Wickerender goes. I just recently had to offer guidance to my teen daughter. She split with her boyfriend because it wasn't fair to him that she didn't feel as he did. She didn't feel as well. It was tough as a dad. Wow, that's going to be rough. Now, we're looking forward to that. We can kind of agreed Harry. I went through a tough time when I've never touched anyone. It does drive you crazy. Vincent Cooper goes, males don't get enough interaction with others. I was pretty lucky that I had friends that were okay with physical contact. I would hug my male friends in high school because we did care. Some people just need to be held to feel better. I was a manager at a fast food place and I had to come for people who needed it. I couldn't help but care. I would have probably gotten in trouble, but I found people who are more important than the, in the, in the uh, shitty job. It comes with the stigma of being gay, unfortunately. So many people have such a fragile sense of that. Someone questioning their sexuality is too much for them to handle. <laughs> Low-key wall weekly mission hug hugging male friend. Um, if you want to, yeah. If, yeah I'm good put, with that. Put some love out there. Put some love yeah. out there.
3: Tell the people you who are mean them that much to you in your life, if you feel that you love them, tell them that, that you love them. Yeah. Let
1: them correct. know. Yeah, let them know. You know, hug somebody. Give somebody a hug. doesn't have to be a male. You know, you see someone that needs a hug, and you're, and you're a friend, help. give them a hug. Maybe they need a hug. Ask them if they want a hug. You know, it has happened. Hey, it's happened at Liberty and Jill at the Walnut meeting. Okay, we would sit there on a, on a sat I have been there on several different Fridays and I was felt like crap and one of the guys come up and goes, Do you need a hug? I'm like, Yes, I need a hug. You know, and I'd get up and I'm sitting there hug, you know, and you know, you know, you're sitting in a room full of mostly guys drinking beer and they watch another guy get up and give another guy a hug and don't no care. Yeah, give me a hug. I want a hug. That was sad. I just read some sad news. Can I have a hug? You know? So yeah, give people yeah. a hug.
0: It, we talk about me crying during dog food commercials. I mean, I'm tearing up even thinking what I would say to the males in my life. That mean a lot to me. I can't even like, I wouldn't be able to do it in front of them. I, maybe I can write them a letter. I would, I, I would have a tough time. It'd be hard. That'd be hard. Yeah. Well, I
3: think it's hard. I think get over that man. Just, uh, just realize that, what you're going to say to them might mean as much to them as what it means to you. And you're just returning what you're getting from them back to
5: them. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I probably do. Oh man. Yeah. That'd be hard. That's a tough challenge. That's, that's a worthy challenge, but that's really, that's hard, man. That's hard. Oh, wow. Well, we the prob- went, here's what,
3: ha- here's yeah. what happens though I'm to tell you right now you get to be my age and you realize that the people who mean that much to you may not be around another year because mm-hmm. of the situations that we're in mm-hmm. and you learn you say it when you can because there's going to be a time where you can't that choice will be taken from you
1: and you won't like that at all yep ouch good point good
5: point yeah that is a good point no i mean tomorrow. hourglass
0: yeah. isn't on my side i know that i just i just i don't know i guess it's that dumb-headed part of me just hoping that it i'll get a few extra grains you know
1: <sighs> well um then if you do I, i'm gonna steal them and put them in mine um plan on making <laughs> it to at least 1200 At least the very minimum, twelve
0: hundred. But years old? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna. Are are you are you talking about? Is this because of technology or this is the keto diet? I
1: I don't know. Either way, (laughs) I just want to make sure Methuselah's record is shattered. I just want to like Uh. just like whoa, (laughs) no loser.
3: They (laughs) say (laughs) that you can't live forever, and I'm like, well, just because somebody hasn't proven that you can yet. Doesn't mean I know. that you can't.
1: No, I'm going to live forever and not pay taxes, and then for my final trick, I will divide by zero.
3: The universe will then fold in on itself, and the Big Bang <laughs> will start over again. Gee, thanks, Harry.
1: You're welcome. Welcome. Now I'm watching a video of a boat being tugged underneath a very a bridge, very very closely but that's besides the point. Anyway, yeah, free hugs. Don't be afraid to show you care no matter what. These are things from the chat from Toe, Boater R. RS and Vincent Cooper. So, uh can, can I get a hug? You sure can, Renzia. You can so, have a hug.
3: So, Harry, did we uh dispel the rumor that we're just a bunch of uh sissy men, low ba- low uh testosterone? <laughs> alphas over here i mean i think we've done a good job of spelling that rumor right
1: yeah <laughs> well yeah well anyone like there's a lot of people for some reason there, i do a lot of things a lot of guys it's like well that's not very manly. i'm like all right can you take apart a motor put it back together no that's very manly, but i can you know yeah. i i i can build a wall i can bricklay you know i know how to use a backhoe yeah. i know how to do all this stuff you know a lot of people the outside i'm pretty freaking manly but i you know i but i enjoy going to get my i'm getting manicures pedicures and i enjoy getting a facial i actually got a facial last weekend so get over yourselves
3: (laughs) yeah it's (laughs) not with this really warped sense of what being a man means and i think being a man means being secure in who you are enough that you can be everything that you are and not try to hide away any part of it and that means your emotions, and I'm sorry, but men have emotions. If you don't have any emotions, then you're a sociopath. You need help.
1: Yep. Oh yeah. And I had to get a facial look because uh, at work, the going—I was up on top of all the disgustingness, which is the ceiling at work, and it was just awful, disgusting. It was just lint and in like ink. It was gross. And the only thing I wanted, that I figured that would get that out of me, is steam. <laughs> Steam my skin, get it out. Wicked kendra goes. Harry got that high tea. Thanks to Alex Jones. I'm, you know, super, super high tea. You know, my tea's off the roof. Uh, my tea's so high. Umbrella Corporation chases me around. <laughs> <laughs> I right. got it. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> just Captain America. I, think I got that one.
5: Uh, I'm that so one confident in my masculinity that I can put a chair together, and it's put together half-assed, and I still a sudden like, go. Away yeah yeah
1: i will say that is uh rencia put a chair together and all three of them have fallen apart <laughs> um, and had to be repaired There but,
5: are they can go yeah sure they were
1: anyways that being said i did n- i want to play all right before we get gonna ahead wrap up i want to play this video i wanted to play this video i'm just gonna play this quick four minute video okay I just, because I thought it was very impressive. And then we'll stop it and we'll go to do a little wrap up this episode of Low-Key. Well, okay, guys? Video I'm playing it's from Mox News. You know, sheriffs in multiple states refusing to enforce unconscionable gun laws. It's a pretty cool video. I, I thought it was anyways. You know, if you're like my kind of weird. Okay. You know? So, sit back, relax. And, oh, I right, right sc- hit the wrong full screen button. Yes, it's from Fox. Yes, it's Fox News, but please bear with me. Are you guys ready? Cool. Playing it now.
4: All right, defiant U.S. sheriffs in at least four states taking a page from liberals on immigration, pushing gun sanctuaries in response to strict new state gun laws and refusing to enforce them. Sheriff Tony Mace is president of the New Mexico's Sheriff's Association. He joins us right now from Reno. Sheriff, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you doing? OK. So uh, there are four gun sanctuary states out there, uh, Washington in the West, uh, Oregon, New Mexico and Illinois, uh, as you can see right there to the east of the Mississippi River,
1: which is a pretty interesting take. It's the idea that um, uh, these shares are doing the same things like for immigration, making like sanctuary cities of just like protecting people from these unjust laws and going like, haha, here we'll have this pocket of freedom. That's another reason I found this interesting.
4: Why is it uh, you feel you are obligated to say to the state legislature, you've passed some rules, but I cannot enforce them?
6: Well, you know, um, we swore, uh, sheriffs, we swore an oath to defend and support the Constitution and protect our citizens. And, um, you know, we want to protect their Second Amendment rights. We want to preserve those rights uh, within our our respective communities across the state. Mm -hmm. and, and with some of these pieces of legislation, uh, we've not just in violation of the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment, and the Fifth Amendment. And we figured, you know, there's these sanctuary status um, or preservation status will help us protect our constituents' individual rights within our communities.
1: Which is one thing that is, but to me, has always been important about the Second Amendment is that if you could – it's the one that's easiest to attack. And if you can attack that one, then the other one's followed by dominoes as you just – see this guy starts laying out
4: understand you feel that uh for instance the background check law would impose regulations on hunting uh on hunting or competitive shooters every time they share guns right that is correct what else
6: um it um so that particular piece of legislation the universal background check will impact our shooting sports our youth shooting sports it'll impact the um concealed carry classes that, that uh, instructors teach across the state because a transfer is a transfer. And in New Mexico, we don't have the mechanism in place to be able to follow those um, background checks. Um, even if they're purchased from a federal firearms licensed dealer um, under the 1984 Firearms Protection Act, that paperwork's destroyed after 30 days. So okay. as a state law enforcement, we don't have any way to track, that, uh, track those transfers. So
1: he's basically talking about how, like, this new law that's supposed to track transfer. So, like, every time you transfer a gun to another individual, that you are to get another a new background check as you move it to individual to individual. It'd be the exact same thing of you take a car and you have to go fill out a, you know, every time you let somebody buy your car, they're basically taking the car they need paperwork for, it. and the simple fact that the law is too, too toothless because they don't really have a record of someone owning another gun, so they really it's too hard to enforce. Because, after, like I said, after 30 days, they destroy all paperwork about the transaction of that gun. So, basically, it's just a hop and a skip until you know you, you have to carry a database to it and enforce this law.
4: So, you're not going to be devoting resources to do that because you feel it's unjust. What's the reaction been so far to the fact that you are a Second Amendment sanctuary?
6: You know, I've had overwhelming support from my citizens within my county. We've had overwhelming support from uh, the majority of the citizens across the state of New Mexico. Um, I've had sheriffs from Nevada reach out and uh, and speak with us. Um, and um, we're just hoping okay. that, uh, that, you know, we can uh, we can help keep this momentum going.
4: Uh, your governor out in New Mexico uh, this past week said that this is hyperbole, falsehoods, and fear-mongering. What do you say about that?
6: You know, um, I, I, that's absolutely false. Um, we are sheriffs, duly elected by the people um, in our respected communities, and we're trying to carry the voice of those people to Santa Fe. Not only that, you know, between our organization, we have...
1: And, and that's another thing with when it comes to sheriffs online police. They don't have their job for life. So they're just the of captains. Sheriffs, they're elected they actually have election seasons to go through to get different things to be able to um, to, for them to work on things
6: hundreds of years of law enforcement Mm -hmm. experience we're the uh, the office of the sheriff we're the one that's going to be responsible for a lot of these uh, pieces of legislation should they be enacted law and um, you know before it becomes law we should be brought to the table mm-hmm. and look at these pieces of legislation. See what's going to work. See what's not going to work. Okay. See what's going to actually impact the criminal element within New Mexico.
1: And that's the other thing that you get—you get within the, that—they're—they're they're on the floor. They're understanding that. All right. So it is one of those pieces that how can I put it? It's when it comes to all this, it's. To me, it's main reason why, especially here in like like they did in Indiana, here in Indianapolis, getting diminishing the power of the sheriff, only having them over the prison and making IMPD and controlling everything. It's because the police chiefs was that was an elect, you know, it's massive, that massive election appeal. You could go out there and outset that. I think I heard Reinhold wrestling. Reinhold? was it that you, Reinhold? That uh, was not right. me. Oh, okay. Did someone else want to? Say? Okay. All right. So, and that's why I thought it was very interesting on this whole take of the, uh, um, you know, creating the sanctuary. Like basically the same thing that would take. So it's the same idea that use the Tenth uh, Amendment to stop unjust laws coming in from the, from the front of you, up and you watch the sheriff's like you know what you can make your laws anything you want inside the major metropolitan areas but here in the rural communities we won't enforce that which you see a lot of that happening especially in the rural communities that the major cities will try to enact these laws and push that out there and um, outwards the same way like in illinois it's, they get it really annoyed because chicago controls a lot of different pop Controls. with Jordan Pollock is in, happening in there, and while well, they don't want guns up there, but in rural, rural Illinois, they do want guns. Um, here in the chat, we've got steaming your skin. Uh, I got called Michael Jackson by Toboters, and he said the F word and the NRA. <laughs> Toboters also like to say, "I would like to see states say a gun built in our, uh, uh, states say a gun built in our state and sold in our state it cannot be subject to federal law." Yeah. Uh
2: actually generally uh in order for the uh US district attorneys to uh charge a crime, they will go through the effort of proving that a gun moved through federal uh interstate commerce.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Ooh. Ooh. Because it was built in a different state. They moved or transferred or sold here originally, and they'll try to figure that, that, figure that out. Is that what you're talking about?
2: Yeah, if, if it is manufactured, say, outside of the state of Indiana, they do have a system in place through uh, the uh, ATFE. They keep a registry of where guns are manufactured uh, and work with the manufacturers to prove that the gun moved through interstate commerce.
1: Hmm. Hmm. so it's a database that they do that they can hold on just so they can tack on more crimes
2: uh or not even necessarily more crimes but uh you know prove that there is a federal aspect to the crime that is being charged
4: hmm.
5: here's the bank when it's originally sold, it's going to be sold interstate commerce more than likely. But if you're buying it from like a third party person, it's like, say a guy in a back alley, it's not going through interstate commerce. The original transaction was interstate commerce, but you buying the gun from a back alley dealer is still interstate commerce.
2: Right, but they still have justification because it moved through interstate commerce to begin with.
5: But that only works from the first transaction. That's how you'd have to argue. Nope. <laughs>
2: that is
5: not how they justify it well they justify anything because like they're going to sit there and say well it's originally was that like 10 years ago it was manufactured here but it's been traded in state for like the last six years um the reason like they're not going to see it like that because that's a literal interpretation of the law like literally it has to be sold at this moment across the state line to basically view it and that's when you get into how the judges are going to rule, are they a strict constructionists or a loose constructionist? Are they going to really just say, okay, was it really sold over state law this time and look at it case by case, which is harder to find a judge to do that. Um, can some, can some uh, state judge or federal judge say like, well, okay, it was, we did buy it uh, 10 years ago from the state of New York and now it's in the state of Illinois, but the last nine, 10 transactions were all done in state. Um, so it's not really interstate commerce at this period point in time in this period um, you'd have to find a judge to basically agree with that argumentation
2: well the thing is they're going to look at it as interstate commerce regardless because there was that fact that it was manufactured say in new jersey and moved to new york uh the it there isn't a statute Just like with a felony conviction barring you from owning fire alarms, there isn't there a uh, time period at which it stops being a felony or at which it stops being part of interstate commerce.
5: And then even then, if I want to take it even more literally, right, I'm going to say, okay, let's interstate commerce. Commerce involves that there's some monetary tra- transaction that happens between the guns, right? So if I'm a New York gun stealer and I'm selling guns, you know, I'm selling it for cash profit, then it's an interesting commerce issue. If I'm selling a burrito and tacking on a free gun with it, the gun wasn't part of the commerce. There's no money gained, <laughs> off the, um, there's money gained off the burrito. It's a $500 burrito, but the gun was just given away as a giveaway. It's not like, pertaining to any sort of commerce. It's just a benefit package to buy in the burrito.
0: There's correct interpretation, and then there's—I I, I mean, essentially, what Paul is saying is how it works, at least in my county and state, as well. For the, mostly because they have an the incentive. I think this ties it back into the video, which I actually have a lot of thoughts on. I loved it, Harry. The the there's in most districts the incentive is to bust people, right? Mm-hmm. When we measure the success of somebody, when we say, "Well, should we reelect this sheriff?" Right. or this DA. Well what was their conviction rate? What laws did they punish? How hard were they on crime? How hard, you know? Right. And I think it's it's an interesting switch. I hope videos like this catch fire because I think it's a it's a way for us to judge the quality of our sheriffs differently mm-hmm. than how many people they threw in prison. I right. mean, you know, we got Kamala Harris who essentially has built her whole reputation on being Tough on crime and really hard on the drug war, you know, and 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 she was one of the most successful if I mean, probably the most successful, uh, you know, prosecutor of all time, at least in San Francisco, as far as the war on drugs goes. But she was judged purely based on this. How many people did you throw in the slammer for drugs? Good job throwing that many people in there. Whereas if the county's values say, I don't care about that. Like, how many dangerous people did you arrest? How many rapists did you convict? How many rape kits did you process? I mean, we have, I mean, we have, we sit decades on rape kits in Chicago. You know, you will wait over 10 years to get your rape kit processed in a big city Mm -hmm. while there is a cop on the street that's pulling people over. If we get the county to understand priorities better, They can shift that around and suddenly we say, I'm no longer judging my sheriff based on how many convictions he gets on drugs. I don't care if they were doing it or not. Right. I love the fact that he's all over his rape kit or these rape kits, these right. real crimes, these these burglaries. Wouldn't you guys love it if your car got broken into and they actually like brought somebody with some freaking dust for fingerprints or something like I mean, my goodness, they've got a million people out there handing out these tickets all over the place for cars that are going too fast in a, on a street where it's dangerous to go slow for goodness sake, but they can't get everybody to afford a little $3 thing that I can pick up at Walmart to dust and pick up some fingerprints and really just try to match them on their computer. And I think that that's because what you're saying, I, I, I agree with what you're saying in that this is how it should work. This is how the law is interpreted to work. But right now they're incentive, incentivized to make it not work wh- that way. And the justice system is tied to that DA. I mean, there's no way around it. The judge works there. And right. so they understand that they're like, okay, well, but we interpret it this way, the way that Paul said, more often than not. And I think that we just need to catch on and, and have them say, it's almost like jury nullification, except Sheriff nullification. I'm no longer pursuing these crimes. You know, mm-hmm. and at, I I think the video is fascinating here. I, I I hope that I hope that that video becomes more popular and that people want that of sheriffs in their community because I know I do.
2: And you know, I I would even venture to say I'd love to see the uh sheriffs going hard at these people that are breaking their oaths to the Constitution and. You know, actually having some level of law enforcement take their oath seriously and hold others to that oath that they swore.
1: All right. Before we go on, I just got to say this Kamala Harris, fuck her because of what she did for um, Boston Sesta, but keep moving.
5: (laughs) Well, like, the thing with the sheriff nullifying laws is, like, you can only nullify so many laws, you're like, I'm not going to enforce it before, like, the governor can actually step in and remove a sheriff from office eventually if they just not enforce the law that they want to say. So, like, if I'm a sheriff and I'm not going to enforce state law, be like, I'm not going to enforce the state law that the legislature signed off on, the governor can actually petition to have me removed as sheriff and basically have another reelection for someone else. Um, That's why a lot of sheriffs don't do that.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and and even beyond that, they will – I mean, I don't know if you guys know this. If you don't hand out X amount of tickets or do what the federal government wants, the -hmm. federal government gives the states a ton of money to fix their – you know to do roads, and then the majority of what they get from roads isn't even – it's on the federal level. It's not even from the state, and they just won't give them that money unless they follow certain rules and guidelines.
5: Well, even then, it's it's a pointless thing too because I have a county sheriff, right? My county sheriff can say I'm not going to enforce these laws, but the way Indiana, for example, is set up is police have jurisdiction statewide. So my my town police has jurisdiction all the way from here to like the border of Michigan. So even if my sheriff says, "Oh, we're not going to enforce the law," my city policemen, like the people in my city, my township, can enforce the law regardless. So it makes the point of the sheriff a totally moot. You can just get city police to enforce it.
0: Yeah. See, my, my I guess in my area, it's a little different. The sheriff actually dispatches like and, and sets routes for the police and assignments. So it's a little bit different. But but I mean, I agree. I think the thing is, the federal do- government does have this stick over the states and the states have this stick over the counties. Like you said, the governor can kick out a sheriff. The federal government can remove a sheriff. And on top of that, I think even more than removal, it's it's financial incentive. They won't get aid. They won't get X of dollars of financial aid. Sometimes it's not even linked. They won't get education aid if, you know, or, or scholarship considerations if they don't, you know, agree to these rules or these speed limits or, or you know, crazy things like that. And so, or, or when we talked about the private police force, we had that whole wall when Spango got his tires stolen. Mm-hmm. The thing about the p- private police forces is they did stop enforcing doing drug raids Unless the feds came and were like, "Hey, guess what? We know these guys do drugs, and we coordinate that through the county." So guess what? You're doing a drug raid now. So they absolutely have the final final say in it. Uh, it's just it's still something that I think, and that's why I say it needs to be popular because Correct. it needs to be something that is looked at negatively. If a if a sheriff were to get removed <laughs> mm-hmm. for these reasons, it would need to be viewed negatively.
1: Yes, Yeah. also oh, definitely needs to be you know in that light. All right. So, calling it. I'm calling it. I'm sorry. I gotta get up early in the morning. I have a plane ride to Dallas tomorrow. So, this one is not getting long in tooth. I tooth. I saw what you're trying to do, Brian Holt. I saw that. I saw that. That ain't happening. Okay? Break the record. No. 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 Not this time. Okay. Maybe one day. One day. But today is not that day. So, let's so all wrap up. Let's start with Hody.
0: Um, How Oh works. man. Oh, it's hard that you, that we're leaving it so quickly after you introduced that interesting video. But, sure uh, was, sure I, you know what? I'll just say this. I will. I'll go back and just say, if you're a dude and you're hearing this, I hope you, or, or, or a girl, I just hope you have mercy on me. or A woman. I should say, if you're a man or a woman, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I don't understand enough about what it means to be a dude. And I really don't think I'm the only one. And I think that we just need to have an understanding about, I think when you repress these people, they get in these groups that accept them of incels. Now I never did it because I would have, I thankfully was like accepted by my family and my brothers and my mom, my dad. Mm -hmm. I was lonely for companionship, but I still had at least a family to go to. I think. When we just straight up ostracize them, they create these groups of belonging, and that's where you get these toxic atmospheres, especially in the online community. And it's way bad, and it's awful. I called it out on a big Facebook post recently, and I think it's sickening. But at the same time, I don't pretend like it happens just because they're all mentally insane. They're looking for some type of companionship. They can't find it with women, so they find it with each other. and unfortunately many of them are sick in the head and it's easy to say all the women are stupid and you're the one that's normal. And then they come to this group all together and say, yeah, all the women are stupid and we're the ones that are cool. And, and so I just think let's, if you know somebody who's maybe a little bit like that or bordering like that, Mm -hmm. instead of kicking them to the curb, which is maybe what they deserve, try giving them more than what they deserve. Maybe just give them a little mercy, give them a little, understanding, give them a shoulder, give them a hug if they want one and maybe show them that there's like some real companionship to be found out there. They just have to be patient and wait for it. You know, for me, I I think Reinhold was right on both parts. I was pursuing the wrong women and I had infatuations, but that's the human experience. I mean, that's, I, I don't, I don't make believe that that happened, that I'm the only one that that's happened. And so I think it's important that we normalize that and make people understand what it is. And I think the more we normalize that, the more we can start talking about these deep feelings that even I have a tough time talking about, because it'd be nice. It'd be nice that if by this age, it was not a tough thing to talk about. And I can just be like, hey, love you guys, or I love you, man, or, you know, just and say it with some meaning in, in a way that's impactful, as opposed to awkward and I mean, mean, it'd be awkward to say, and I'd be scared to say it. So I just think it's a culture war. If you're debating between having a war against politics or a war against culture, stick to the war on culture. (laughs) That's all I got.
1: Very interesting. All right. Um, What do you got? Rencia?
5: Uh, all, All I, all I can say is, uh, I think I think the sheriff's like doing these things are pointless. I think it's kind of like grandstanding because, like I said, it's the way the way systems are set up is beyond a check and balance. It's sheriff says we're not going to enforce this gun law. That doesn't mean like every single city police officer is not going to enforce it. Sheriff can sit there and say, "Well, I'm my I'm not going to enforce it, my deputies." But that doesn't mean his deputy's not going to go out on the street and enforce it. I mean, yeah, you can command them not to, but this is going to happen. And it's just one of those things where. Uh, you know, um, you, you, you just have to, like, eliminate um, just the hierarchies of police force in here. Like like I said, here in Indiana, like, uh, my city police can enforce the law all the way down to by the United States, uh, or not the United States, with Indianapolis Airport, and pretty much throughout the state. So that's a lot of policing powers, especially you know, each individual officer. Because once you're sworn in, you can enforce the law anywhere at any given time. So it could be like three in the morning. I can be down in Evansville, and I can get like you know enforced by you know Lawrence police. And that's just how it's kind of set up here in the state. And a lot of states have that same uh, structure. And they introduce that structure due to like people running on high speed chases where if they cross the state line and they cross the county. Police can still pursue them. So even if I cross the state line, I can still be pursued by police um due to like uh pacts between states and that like, contracts between states so you know when he, he does that sort of stuff he gets on the air and talks about it it's just kind of grandstanding getting like some conservatives all riled up like yeah it's gonna happen but even if he says that the shit still happens I guarantee like after he said that stuff I'm not going to enforce it I guarantee at least 20 guns are picked up within the first five minutes you know and for whatever reason so it's still being enforced even though he says he's not going to um I'm not saying it's like hypocrisy, it's just the state is usually so big, there's so many different agencies, so many individual actors, you can't control them all. So things just don't kind of happen You under like the hood of everybody else. I doubt a sheriff really pays that much attention to it, because usually when you elect a sheriff, he's pretty much just a guy going to like a county council, arguing for a budget, and kind of just maintaining the budget. That's all he really does, that's all a sheriff really does, even though he's a law enforcement official. So, you know, just thinking back on that, it's like it's kind of a pointless thing, and you kind of just degrade a lot of the laws that allow people to uh, allow police forces and allow other things to kind of cross county lines, state lines, or different jurisdictions. Um, that won't happen, though, because that's basically neutering the police.
1: Yeah. All right. Ryan Holt?
3: All right, so all I want to say is a couple things. One is... That when you, the only person you have control over is yourself. And the only really control you have is how you react to anything that's happened to you. So that's what you need to be focused on. And figuring out how you're reacting to uh, outside influences. Somebody does something or says something or offends you in some way. How are you reacting to it? Because you can't really control whether they do or don't do that sort of thing. That's on them to do. Um, but how you take that information and react to it is, is the key in who you are and what type of person you are. And the other thing is, is that you cannot expect anybody in the world to love you if you do not love yourself. Uh, so the main thing you have to do is focus on, uh, finding out whether or not you love yourself. And if you don't, why not? Is it rational is it something you need to work on? Is there some things you need to change or do you just need to accept yourself as who you are um, and love you for that? Because if you can't do it, then nobody else, you know, how can you expect anybody else to? And that's really it. Hmm.
1: Hmm. All right. All right. Well, just like I'll finish it up here. First off, um, Kamala Harris, F her on uh, Foster Sesta. I really feel like, you know, that it's, you know, that's hurt a lot of different people, um, and I hope they understand that you know that the government did this to them, and that was the, you know the party of anti-freedom, the parties of anti-freedom did that to that. And they understand that when they go to vote in November, they vote themselves some more freedom. But that that being said, and you know laughing at that, we uh, with the sheriff thing, hey, I just. um I like the idea of people understanding and actually going, uh, whether something actually go from it or not, the conversation that needs to be had, whether something is constitutional or not, and people actually trying to do something, putting butts on the line, hey, I actually appreciate that, and watching different states try to get away with different things, especially like when um, New Hampshire used the 10th Amendment to get rid of the stupid federal seatbelt law, which is the only state in the Union that you don't have to wear your seatbelt in. Fun times! But The other thing, uh, other thing I'm going to touch on too is the physical touch thing. Um, Yeah, if you have friends and they, they, you know, and you guys all, it's all consensual and you guys can, it's okay. Hug each other, get some Brazilian Jiu Jitsu. If you're feeling down and depressed right now, trust me, do some wrestling, some Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, help some people out, get a yoga class and have the person, you know, like, and help each other out and touch each other, trust me it'll blow your mind like that physical how much physical touch you're just missing and will help you concentrate and focus and get you through just having interactions and meeting new people. And it's an, it's, I could, I remember, uh, because majority of the physical touch I get is just from my wife. Most guys, you know, you know, I don't get physical touch from most guys just the way it is, you know? And that's why sometimes I, uh, and I'm going to say like, I just crave guy touch. But it's just more of a, you know, this realization is just like, hey, the most physical touch I guess is just for my life. So, like, sometimes, and that's why I like rolling with people, doing jj just showing people do things, because it's that physical interaction, that touch, the human touch, the, the personal nature of that. There's no, you feel that someone's out there. There's so much for me. The other thing, and in the final note, I will say, nor Vietnam. I don't really know about that VPN that too too much, and I really don't trust VPN companies that you give all this money to, to have them, you know, you, you don't really know if they're not scanning logs or not. You don't even know if they're selling your DNS information. You don't even know if their stuff is good or not. Pretty much crap. Pretty much crap. You it yourself. So, anyways, that being said, this is Loki Wall here on this Monday, the um the 5th of March, so, bye everybody. Say bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. More. Laters!